0: Welcome back to Held and Healed. This podcast is a resource filled with resources. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to one of my absolute favorite resources of all. I just stumbled upon this lady and her books recently, and I'm so excited to be able to bring her expertise and her life experience to you. Cindy Burrell is a survivor. Of a 20 year marriage to a quote unquote Christian verbal and emotional abuser. She is the author of Why is He So Mean to Me? God is My Witness, Making a Case for Biblical Divorce, and the book we're going to discuss today, Reformulating the Christian Marriage Counseling Model, where Abuse is Involved. She is the author of approximately 100 articles on the abuse dynamic and the owner of HurtByLove.com, a web-based ministry to women in abusive relationships. Welcome, 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 Cindy. Good morning. Thank you for having
1: me. I'm happy to be here.
0: I am so ready to dive into this conversation and I'm blessed beyond blessed. I told you earlier that If I were to sit down and put my thoughts together and write a book, this is what I would want to write. And you did it, so I don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for being the voice for so many women. And so um, today we're going to really focus on the reformulating book, but of course you can talk about the other books as you want. But why don't you just start out and tell us a little bit about you and your story and your journey.
1: Well, thank you so much uh, again for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here and share a little bit about how I got where I am now. Um, I was in an abusive marriage for 20 years. Um, and I know that just rolls off your tongue, but you kind of, when you look at it from a more objective perspective, I like to remind people that that's the amount of time between when a child is born and he enters his second year of college. Um, so 20 years is an eternity when you're in it. Um, my husband never hit me Um, we met at church he knew the bible we memorized scripture together he had all the appearances of being a uh, good godly christian man Um, and to be blunt and a little admit my own fault in this he was obsessed with me which at the time i mistook for love Um, but it was not love it really was obsession and i know that now didn't see it then um, after we married he immediately cranked up the heat and it was very apparent that he was at the center of the relationship uh, whatever he wanted was what the way things were going to do he, he had addictive tendencies uh, he was uh, over time he became addicted to prescription drugs illegal drugs alcohol pornography you name it. Mm. Um, He was extremely controlling of my life in terms of my relationships, who I was allowed to spend time with, who I wasn't allowed to spend time with. In fact, he tried to tell me who I had to be friends with. He tried to isolate me from my family and um, demonize them so to try to keep me completely under his control. And uh, in those rare instances when I would try to talk with him, he would just shut me down, uh, make me feel crazy uh, or inadequate or just plain wrong. It was like whatever I said or thought or felt was, um, was the wrong way to do it. He was the authority on anything and everything that happened in our home.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And uh, his trump card was, uh, you will submit to me. Mm. I think some of us, a lot of us have heard that. And then, of course, over the years, I'm trying to share my story or my pain with people, especially believers. The first question they would ask me, well, is he hitting you?
2: Mm. And
1: when I said no, then they would come back to you, well, you just need to pray for him and be faithful and submissive and loving and gracious and forgiving and all those things. And I will tell you, I... I did it to the very best of my ability. I tried to be the perfect Christian wife.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, <laughs> and
2: the reality
1: was I was dying inside.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: think we can all relate to that. I yeah. um, I felt like I was unseen, unloved, um, neglected, and emotionally, spiritually, verbally abused. And yet I felt like no one could hear me. Right. Right. No one would acknowledge that anything I was dealing with was actually abused. I didn't even acknowledge the word abuse until after I was out of the marriage. I had no idea. People told me that it was time to just be the perfect wife, to be loving and forgiving and, and to trust that God would heal my marriage. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that never happened.
2: Right. Um, <laughs>
0: It's not, it's not even biblical. Like all these, these things that we're told are conditional that if we do, then this will happen. I mean, those things aren't even biblical, but they're taught as though they're coming straight from God's word. And they're not No, because no one person can change or control another human being. We cannot make anyone do anything. God, God gave us free will. God doesn't even make anyone do anything.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So I I guess, you know, obviously we wonder why is that a thing? Why do we buy into that? Why it is the the Christian uh, counselors and pastors and even our our fellow believers sell us on that and Mm -hmm. try to convince us that we have the power to change this other person.
0: I think it's just what we have regurgitated. Um, It doesn't necessarily need to make sense. It's just what we've heard and we've been told. And then we regurgitate it to other people. It sounds good in the moment, but it's bull. It just doesn't, it doesn't fly. And if I had a dollar for every woman who has come to me and told me the same story, if you, you were told, if you just do this, if you just do this, if you just do this, it's ridiculous. It's over and over and over again. And most women feel like they're completely, utterly alone And that nobody else has experienced this. But when we start to talk, we realize, oh my gosh, like you've been told that too? You've been told that? Mm -hmm. And as you were describing your relationship, like we're familiar with the patterns and the systems of abuse. And it's like, check, 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 check. Like the emotional, the verbal, the psychological, the spiritual, there's just like all patterns in your relationship. And like you said, but he never hit me. (laughs) So abuse is so, so much more than broken bones and bruises. And we are here to tell women that we see them and that if they are experiencing any of these patterns and systems of abuse, that we acknowledge that it is not okay and it's not acceptable. So when you went then to... How long into your marriage before you like pursued help from the church? At what point did you go to leadership and ask for help?
1: Um, It was probably about 15 years in, I had discovered that he was in an appropriate an inappropriate relationship with another woman. I did not know the extent of it, but it was devastating. I didn't see it coming. Mm. So I called and made an appointment with the church And that the following day, he, uh, my husband, my then husband and I met, went to meet with him and the pastor, as soon as I sat, I know sooner sat down, tears were streaming down my face. My then husband was sitting next to me and the pastor said, your husband has admitted that he made a mistake. Have you forgiven him?
0: Wow. Wow.
1: And that was about 30 seconds into the conversation. Wow. I was I felt like I'd been kicked in the
0: gut. Because um, you you were. You were. Yes. So not can, just by my husband, but yes. my can we sister. can we just yeah, can we just highlight this right here, right now? That is not what you say to someone who is living in abuse. Her safety matters long before you ever drop the F word, and we're talking about forgiveness. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> the other
0: F word, right? <laughs> So we, we have to see people and where they are and help them understand their value, their worth and their safety long, long before we ever drop the F word.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and the irony
1: of it was he didn't even go any further than the fact that he had admitted he had an inappropriate relationship. He asked me nothing about our relationship, nothing about what was going on in our home or other intricacies associated with our marriage. And literally the entire conversation took less than 30 minutes. Oh, wow. If that. And the focus again, and as soon as he said that, I look over at my husband, I, had, I didn't even respond when he asked me if I'd forgiven him. Mm. And he just grinned. Wow. He had, he had won in the moment, 10 seconds into the conversation. He felt, he was like, okay, it's on you now. The pressure's on you.
0: And the a, a woman who is sitting there, whose world has been turned upside down, and her world has been rocked, and she is reeling from betrayal trauma, doesn't know if she can or will ever trust this man again. And that's the advice that was given: just forgive him. Yes. Why did he? Why doesn't that work, Cindy? Why doesn't? That... <laughs> why doesn't that work? Why is that not where we begin? <laughs> you know that's the thing is
1: is that there was no interest in understanding anything beyond that Mm. that his betrayal was only the tip of the iceberg
0: right that's right At
1: that level and it went so much deeper the pastor didn't even take the slightest bit of interest in fact what's even more disturbing was after leaving i thought well maybe he'll follow up with me he'll check in or he'll call and say hey how are you doing would you like to talk to me privately that mm. never happened. I mm. never heard from him again, never spoke to him again. And it was just like, we fixed it, move on. And I was again, all alone in my suffering.
0: Mm. Wow. And you had suffered to this point, 15 years too. I mean, that, that's what makes me so sad is that you had, you had been hurting for that long and this is the first time you reached out for help. And that's the quote unquote help that you received. I, I think I started pursuing help five years in um, and it was still just completely heart-wrenching what was offered to me. Um, Let's, let's speak to the whole issue right now of why couples counseling often fails where abuse is involved. That's one of the chapters in your book. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about why couples counseling when there's abuse, why that is a big fat no. Well,
1: um, you know, after after getting out, I don't think you can see it till after, you get out of it. The whole dynamic, and that's the. And I spent years listening to other people's stories, as, in addition to my own, and they're so universal, Heather, in that the when you have three people in the room, yeah, the odds of triangulation there are high, and by that I mean, you're, at some point you're going to have two against one.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And
1: and the issue and what I hear more so often is that the, when you get together first, it's like, okay, why are you here?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm, I'm going to offer a disclaimer here to first starters to say that I'm going to refer to the abuser in the masculine because the overwhelming right. majority of abusers are male, Right. but it can go both ways. But for sure. the sake of simplification, that's the way I'm going to do this. Yes. So theoretically, you have a husband and wife. In with the counselor and they're going to say why are you here the woman if she is honest will say I am exhausted I'm confused I'm in pain and I don't know that I can go on in this marriage Mm. then they turn to the husband and say what why are you here and he will say I don't understand why she's not happy I do everything for her. She's needy. She's demanding. She's high maintenance. She's emotional. Um, she blames me for everything. And he will give his little sob story uh, and lie. Frankly, abusers are not ashamed to say some say things that are absolutely contrary to the truth Right. great face. And so then they say, Well, what do you want to the husband? He says, Well, I want to save my marriage. I believe we can work this out.
2: Mm.
1: And then he turns back to the wife and she says, I don't know that I want to, I don't know that I can do this anymore. And they say, Well, it seems like you're being a little unreasonable. Like mm. you don't have the, you're not committed. Right. And in that, suddenly you have both the abuser with the counselor as his ally and the victim is shoved to the far corner and all the eyes are on her. The pressure is on her to figure out what she needs to do to make it work Mm. or look like the bad guy. He's like, Mm. well, if you walk away, then just know it's your fault that this did not work out. Right. So in that, I strongly recommend, I tell people don't ever, ever, ever go to Christian marriage counseling or pastoral counseling with an abuser.
2: Right.
1: Find your own counselor or therapist, preferably someone who understands abuse and that question should be asked and work with that person individually.
0: Absolutely. If, Absolutely. if the
1: abuser is really interested in getting help, which he probably isn't, he needs to get his own counselor separate. But he won't like that because he would prefer to be in the same room with his victim and the counselor so he
0: can manipulate the situation. And when he's by himself, the game is not as much fun. No. It's you not as much fun, and he he, he makes an audience. He needs he, an audience. He may fool a counselor, and so is it true that you need to be with a counselor for at least a year? And I'm assuming when they say a year, they mean weekly sessions. So let's just say you need to be with a counselor for like fifty some sessions before they really start to see through your stuff. Like you can fool these abusers and manipulators can fool counselors for a very long time.
2: Yeah.
0: And so if he is willing to do that for a long, long period of time without her in the room to pick at and manipulate and control and use the ammunition shared in the session later, like, that's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. If he has a willingness to go by himself, you're still going to be sitting there thinking, well, he's probably lying through his teeth. But at least, at least he's not controlling her. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And they all get tired of it after a while because he doesn't, they have will, an audience. They will because, get married. Yes. Because she's not there to manipulate and gang up on. So, okay. it, um, so yeah, the bottom line is uh, women should find their own therapist or counselor who understands abuse and get and help for themselves and not include involve him at all.
0: Some of the headers that you have in this section, A couple's counseling favors the abuser. Couples counseling requires the perception of fairness. So we're assuming that there's fairness. We're assuming there's equality here. We're assuming there's two human beings that want the same goal. And that's not the case with abusers. Couples counseling presumes the expectation of compromise. And then you also explain the common way, which is the wrong way. That section was very, very enlightening to me. And, um, you know, just what we're trying, the questions that are asked that are not good questions. Is he hitting you? What do you think you might be doing to provoke him? What do you think you could do to improve the condition of your relationship? Do you still love him? And you actually break that down into, do you love the man he is, the man he was, or the man you believe he could be? Hmm. Have you forgiven him? So these are all the wrong things to say. And most of these are victim shaming, victim blaming statements. And they put the responsibility and the weight of all of it back on her. Correct. And so many, uh, quote unquote, biblical and quote unquote, counselors, I separate both of those out. (laughs) Lots of air quotes around here. <laughs> <laughs> so many do that. that yes. Put that weight and that responsibility because I think they just want a quick solution so that they can say this marriage was saved and we can say we don't have any divorces in our congregation, but you have unhealthy and unsafe homes and that is not the goal.
1: Exactly. Well, That's- pretending that a, a relationship isn't abusive isn't, doesn't change it, the fact that it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you um, go into, I'm trying to look at some of your other chapters here, the essence of abuse, the abuse dynamic. Abusers are basically all the same. Is that not right? We say this over and over. Do they all read the same book? And when I sit with other survivor sisters and we start sharing their stories, we're like, oh my gosh, like we feel like we could just be telling each other stories so, so very often. Um, You talk about abuse tactics, which I also refer to as patterns or systems of abuse, verbal, emotional, physical, financial, sexual, sexual abuse of children, isolation, spiritual abuse, which we do tackle a lot in our group because maybe all the women in our group have not experienced um, marital abuse, but almost every single woman in our group of over 900 right now has experienced spiritual abuse. Wow. I have been corrected in my use of the word epidemic. So <laughs> I always thought of epidemic as just widespread, but I did not know it meant in a particular time, like a specific time frame. So you and I both know it's not an epidemic in that sense. What is epidemic is the exposure of it. <laughs> so we know that abuse in the faith communities has been going on forever. We know that. But the talking about it and exposing it is suddenly like we're, we're just seeing that more, um, more and more and more. So, no, the abuse is not like a specific time or period of time. It's, it's widespread for sure. But mm-hmm. so I'm going to choose to use a different word than epidemic because <laughs> um, it's been around since the beginning of institutional, you know, organized religion. It's, yeah. it's not new, but talking about it and resourcing and helping survivors is, is the new thing. So um, you say victims may not realize that they're being abused. And we talked about indoctrination, crazy making, gaslighting, lying. Um, How would you help a woman right now? Like if she's just listening to this and she doesn't even know if she's in an abusive relationship, maybe she hasn't listened to previous podcasts. Maybe this is the first time she's even been exposed to this. What are some of the things that you would say To her, like if you're experiencing this, this, and this, you may be in an abusive relationship.
1: I think, for starters, I think we have to give people permission to acknowledge not just what they're experiencing, but what their heart is telling them, Uh, what the spirit is telling them. Our spirit speaks truth to us if we are listening. We've Mm. been trained when we're in an abusive relationship to shut down and ignore. The, the things that we know instinctively are happening to us. We have to purposely and intentionally push them down and shove them out of the way and override them. Mm. So if we give ourselves permission to acknowledge what we're experiencing, experiencing what we're feeling, what our heart is saying, when we're emotionally, spiritually exhausted, um, the first words that I almost almost universally here when I speak to a woman in my coaching sessions, the first words out of her mouth will almost be, always be, I'm so confused. Mm. What does that tell us?
2: Mm.
1: Because abusers are so adept at churning up that sense of confusion and chaos where they don't trust their own instincts. They're taught that only what he says is truth is truth. Mm -hmm. What he says is real is real. Anything other than that is in your imagination.
0: Mm -hmm. Because you're told that you're told that.
1: Yes. You're, you don't know what you're talking about. You just trust me. Just leave this to me. I know what I'm doing.
0: You're messed up. And so many have layers of this. So like for some of us, it started in our childhood where we were told that our memories were not valid And then we were placed into religious institutions where we were told that we didn't have a voice and that what we thought and felt didn't matter. So there's like all these layers that prepare us and set a foundation. So when he comes along, we are so used to having our voice stripped from us. Yes. We're so used to having other people speak for us and tell us, you know, what God's will is for us. And then there's just one more person who we've been told that he is our head and we are to submit. And so we just fall into line. Yes. And but, the- we're,
1: but there's, you know, we, we get to this place where we're so broken, so empty and exhausted that that I really feel like finally that desperation forces us to figure out what is really true. Mm. But as you know, it's heart-wrenching. It's exhausting. And then when you come to the end of yourself and you do admit that, that's equally devastating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All, this, all this time that, that you've devoted and the commitment to love and be faithful. And suddenly you, you see this clear view and go, it was for nothing. Nothing is changing. He doesn't love me. He has no desire to protect me, to take care of me. I'm on my own here. And it's a double blow. Yeah. It really is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this book could truly be a handbook for churches who want to learn to do it right. And I have been looking for curriculum. I've been looking for something concise to just put into the hands of any spiritual leader who is just ready to learn. Mm -hmm. And it is okay to say, you know what? Our church doesn't know how to handle this. It is okay to say we have these situations in our church and we are just completely, we just don't know what we're doing. That's a great place to begin. Yes. And to come with humility, to come with teachable spirits and say, please help me to those who have walked this path as, as survivors They can give you a lot of great feedback and then to take in the book that Cindy has written. Again, the title is formulating the Christian marriage counseling model where abuse is involved. This could be a resource, a handbook for any institution that wants to be safe and wants to learn about domestic violence and wants to keep women and children. And there, as you said, there are men who have been abused. We get that. Um, So You have this section now, so let's just shift a little bit and turn the rest of our time together into speaking to those leaders who truly want to become safe leaders Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: create um, safe spaces. So you and I chatted a little bit before this, um, this morning, and I am actually organizing a safe spaces summit. And this is going to be in the spring of 2022, where I'm going to bring together some of my absolute favorite advocates, authors, speakers, leaders who really, really understand. They understand domestic violence. They understand the um, widespread reality of this within the faith communities. So let's talk a little bit about what it looks like to properly, biblically, in the right way to love that victim. So your first section under counseling the victim is you say you support, you help them to support separation. So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like?
1: Yes. um, I hope it's okay. I'd like to interject here really briefly. Absolutely. Please. Um, The foundation of all of this, I think we have to go back to, is undeniably the teaching that God hates divorce.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: So before we can look at a new model and we look at why it doesn't work, We need to go back because I've done, I've spent years studying biblical divorce. And the truth is God does not hate divorce. Um, And I can't go into all the intricacies of that, but I do have an article on my website, hurtbylove.com called Letter to a Pastor Explaining Biblical Divorce. It's also in the book, but if you don't want to buy the book, at least it's there. Yes. Because what we have failed to, to see is that the English language does not adequately, correctly interpret well from the Hebrew or the Old Testament Hebrew or the New Testament Greek. And what we see as divorce was not divorce as an act, but divorce as sending away a wife without cause and or without a writ. And God despised that. These were husbands who were abandoning their wives.
0: Mm mm-hmm.
1: And so it's important because that is like so universally taught. Right, right. And so many of the women who I speak with, they go, well, I can't get a divorce because God get, hates divorce and I don't want to be
0: on God's bad side. And you do an incredible job Um, in the first, uh, I guess it was five or six sixth chapter where you talk about this. So yes, absolutely. Please go to Cindy's blog. And you said it is letter. What is the name of the title? I I called
1: a Letter to a Pastor Explaining Biblical Divorce.
0: Excellent, excellent. And also in previous episodes, we've talked to Gretchen Baskerville and we've debunked that whole, you know, you and Gretchen are great friends. And it is, it is absolutely foundational in helping churches to understand uh, what the word of God really does and does not say about divorce. It, he hates the hardness of heart that leads to divorce. He hates the abuse that leads to divorce. But divorce is actually a way to get his, his daughters and his sons to safety. Exactly, And so we, um, we know that there are times where it is merited that someone pursues a life saving divorce. We're not talking about she burnt dinner and I'm going to divorce <laughs> her or she doesn't look like she did when we got married 20 years ago. Well, buddy, neither do you, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's never, that's never talked about. Right. So um, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where these uh, patterns and systems of abuse are in play. And we include adultery under sexual abuse. And um, when those patterns and systems are in play year after year, no repentance, contrition, remorse, Mm -hmm. then we're saying, dear sisters, God has provided a way out for you. Yes. So then we start to say, okay, so what does supporting separation look like when she comes into that setting with it? What would a good spiritual leader, um, a good biblical counselor, what would be some of the things that would help her understand that separation is probably necessary? Obviously, the priority is always safety,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: whether it's emotional
1: or physical or spiritual.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We can't even think straight. Again, if we're in an unsafe environment where we're constantly on edge. And so the, the priority is always to put anybody who's in harm's way into a safe environment to support them in separation and then to come alongside them and give them a voice. Right. Uh, The freedom to acknowledge what has been going on, where they've been, what God's heart is and to begin to detox. And that's a huge process to be able to actually look back at at where we've been and, and let the, the poison, the spiritual poison, literally to, to seep out of us. Yes. And to be able to identify it and say, that is so messed up. Yeah. And to say, it wasn't my fault. Mm. I didn't make him treat me this way.
0: That's right. And anybody that's listening right now, if anyone has ever made you feel that you are responsible in any way Mm -hmm. for abuse, that is not the heart of God. No, you are not ever responsible for someone abusing you. And don't say, well, I'm not perfect because no person is perfect. Right. That does not mean you deserve to be abused. Right. And that message, like, I don't know how many women say that to me. Oh, but I messed up and I'm not perfect. And we've also, I think your book, you talk about reactive abuse as well. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different thing. Responding to abuse versus being an abuser. Those are two very different things.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there comes a point that we all hit a breaking point, and mm-hmm. I'll be honest and say I think abusers like it when they take us there.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, because when they 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 see that they have that kind of power and control. Yeah, right. And then, but then they can turn it back on you as they see you're not perfect. Right. Yeah. They say it to us, and that's why we say it to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the,
1: all of the, this process, and then of course once you see the dynamic, you can start to to, to detox. And grieve where we've been. It's so essential to not just go, okay, I see it. It was bad. Okay, now I need to move on. It's not that simple. No we, no. we need time and room to literally grieve where we've been, what's happened to us, who did that to us, and then begin to start reclaiming our value in our life in the Lord and and let him in to heal those broken desperately wounded places and he does mm. There is life after abuse and it's borderline miraculous it, it amazes me it, years later I still stay in touch with a lot of the women I've worked with and they're like I wish I had known this years ago I wish I'd left years ago but God has taken my life he's restored it yeah. he's redeeming it and and I'm, I'm whole again and my life I have joy I have peace. And it's all because of him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I did a post yesterday. I think you saw it where I just showed my my living room and all the fall, you know, decorations. And I just wrote about how different my life is than it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. And peace and joy. For the first time in my life, I began to experience those about a year ago. I'm like, 46 years is a long time to wait for peace and joy. Yes. But to be able to say to other people who are right now in the thick of it, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm not saying this to boast. I'm saying this because I want to give you hope yes. that I sat where you're sitting just five years ago, even four or three or two years ago, I was right there feeling like I could not breathe and I was never going to come out. And now I feel those things. I feel hope and peace and joy and expectancy and anticipation yes. and all the things that were so dead five years ago.
1: Yes, absolutely. so dead,
0: so gone, so dead. You say in this section counseling the victim, and this, this we cannot say enough. You say there are three words every abuse victim longs to hear, and I would say desperately longs to hear. Yes. I believe you. Yes. Wow. I never, I, I never heard that. Right. I don't
1: think I ever heard that. And, and, uh, so it's important to give that to others. We need to to say, I, I hear you. I believe you not here. Let me fix
0: you. Or uh, there's two sides to every story or, yes. it's two, or all the dumb things that we've heard. We, 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 just need someone to look us in the eye and authentically, genuinely say, I believe you. Right. And I'm here. I'm going to be here for the long haul. And I'm so Sorry. And yes. you don't deserve that. Those are all so valuable. So yeah. valuable. Yeah. You say she needs to be heard. She needs to be validated. She needs emotional support. She needs to be guarded. And you were talking about grieving. Just like with a physical death, we don't get to determine a timetable for anyone of right. how long that grief is going to last. Right. I mean, and for most of us, grief does last forever. It just... We, we began to cope with it and handle it as we get stronger, but it can come back and, and hit us over the head at any moment. Yes. Grief and betrayal trauma are, are legit things that we may wrestle with for the rest of our lives. Then you talk about man, uh, mandating safety and setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. So maybe speak to that a little bit as we're walking with women, how we help her to, um, to become safe and set those boundaries.
1: We have to fight for them. Mm. I know a lot of people tend to go, well, my abuser wants to spend time with this child or this, and they don't want to go, and I'm going to, I feel like I need to talk my child into wanting to spend time with him. No, this is a, we have, if we have any opportunity to stand up for what is right, we need to do it. And it's even harder because we're already exhausted. We're tired of fighting. Abusers don't give up easily.
2: Mm -hmm. And you have
1: other people breathing down your neck saying, well, you know, don't you think you're being a little harsh or unrealistic about this? No. There comes a point where we have to really gather all of our strength and say, I'm not allowing this anymore. We can't afford to care what anybody thinks about our decisions. It's okay to ask for advice, but if you don't have peace about their advice, then ignore it. Mm. And go with what you feel the spirit is telling you. I remember so clearly the times when my then husband would say, doesn't this sound like a good idea? How Like when he moved back in, he was begging me and making all the promises. It's going to be fine. Everything's great. You know, I've changed everything in my gut. Said, don't do it. Yeah. So what did I do? I let him come back home Mm. because I didn't want to look like the bad guy. It didn't look like I was being unreasonable. He was making saying all the right things, but he no sooner got back home and two weeks later, we were right back where we started because I wasn't listening to my gut that said, this is wrong. Keep the walls up. Keep the boundaries there. Stay safe. And I was the one who let my guard down to try to make it look like I was being gracious or kind well that i don't i don't have to be gracious or kind you don't have to be gracious or kind when your emotional safety is at risk
0: that is absolutely right yes ma'am that's right jesus flipped some tables man like (laughs) he was not always gracious and kind and yet he was without (laughs) sin so that tells us there is a time and a place to put our foot down and say enough is enough Yes. And that is acceptable. You include these different um, tabs. You say um, some of these boundaries are no personal contact, no personal conversations, business only preferably by text or email so that there is a record of those things no pressure no timeline so yes. if we're saying the abuser cannot put pressure on her and the abuser cannot put a timeline then we're also saying the spiritual leaders don't put pressure on her and don't put a timeline on it like exactly. reconciliation may never happen and that's okay that's exactly. okay. her safety is what matters not reconciling a dangerous situation Right, And if we could just shift and, and see success as being, keeping these people safe and alive and well, instead of success equals keeping broken marriages together, like we just need a real paradigm shift in what success in ministry looks like. Right. The priority um, should
1: always be safety.
0: Always. Yeah, always. Always. Safety in body, mind, and spirit. Amen. And, um... You have different questions like you ask her, do you feel physically, emotionally, sexually, financially safe? Do you fear for your children? Are they exhibiting any behaviors that concern you? Do you have secrets you want to share? What do you need? You ask, and this is one of my first questions when I meet someone, do you have a support network? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where do you want to go from here? Like Giving her, oh my gosh, it's so important to empower her and let her know that she is a brilliant human being who is capable of making decisions and when we as advocates or helpers try to force her to do anything we're just one more person controlling her (laughs) and I have made that mistake many times without realizing it (laughs) you know I thought I knew it was best and I'm like you need to dot 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 or you should just dot 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 and that's a big fat no (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we know better, we do better, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a learning process. Uh, I've learned so much over the last few years and listening is power for other people. Yes. When we truly listen to them and let them share from their heart and we provide them a safe place where they know that they will be accepted and respected. And then there's something about having that freedom to really share your heart that really sets us free. We, it's a healing, healing um, gift we give to people when we simply listen to them and hear them from their heart and then validate them and say, I'm so sorry. I I can, I know you've been hurting and you're in pain, but healing is available. God wants to heal you. I will be there for you and then partner with them to help them find their new life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you go on then to talk about counseling the abuser, some questions for the potential abuser. And then you you just reiterate again that they are negotiators and that we have got to be above just their games. And understand that the 30 minutes that you're seeing in that session or the 10 minutes you see on a Sunday morning, you're not getting you're not getting a full representation of who that person is behind closed doors. And so taking time to just understand that what meets the eye. And we've talked about how anger management is not the solution because these people know when to turn it on and turn it off. Yes. It's not an issue of they're just out of control because they know the proper, not the proper, (laughs) they know when they can get away with their behaviors and when they cannot. And so just because you see Mr. So-and-so acting a certain way on stage on Sunday morning, either preaching a sermon or leading a worship team or leading a Sunday school class does not mean that when he gets in the car on the way home from church, that he's that same person. And, you know, that cognitive dissonance where we, we think we know something and we're presented with another, you know, hmm, another possibility and we just don't want to believe it. Mm -hmm. We just don't want to see that side of a person but trusting, trusting that victim that I think it's like 92 to 98% of the time that that victims are telling the truth. It's a high percentage.
2: <laughs> and you
1: have to err on that side.
0: We, yes. need to, yes. we
1: need to be willing to err on that side. If so, anybody feels unsafe for any reason at any time, we need to defer to that.
2: Yes. And yes.
1: we all, and like you said, um, abusers know how to play the game. They can put on a great show. They can make great appearances. One of the women I worked with recently said, you should hear my husband pray. Mm. She said, when you hear him pray, you think he's the most godly man on the planet. But as soon as the, the doors close, he's a totally different person. And that's not unusual. That's, no. pretty, that's pretty much the norm that I hear on my
0: end. And it sends shivers up my spine because, yes, yeah, the games. And we know that God sees all, hears all, and knows all. God God is not fooled by that, but it's terrifying to me how many people are uh, fooled by that. You also talk about repentance, very important section of your book because repentance is not um, – I keep going back to Princess Bride. <laughs> inconceivable i do not think that word means what you think it means you know <laughs> and there are so many words that we throw around in church that just do not mean what we've been told they mean you know forgiveness and bitterness and repentance mm. like all these words that we've been taught certain things even divorce we've been taught certain things and they don't even mean what we've been told they mean yeah so you share some red flag communication um things to watch for with these um, not sincere repentance. And so I'm just going to read down this list because this is really good stuff. So when you are sitting with an abuser and you think that they are who they're presenting as, um, you, you share Proverbs 55, 21. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Please, please, leaders understand that you're not getting the full picture. So some red flag communication includes blanket apologies, promises, tears. They can turn those on and off. Mm
2: -hmm. Threats,
0: love notes, requests to meet up and talk, requests for a checklist of things that he must do to get her back. You talk about not being his accountability partner. That's not her responsibility. Blame demands for a timeline. Again, the pressure is put on her. Buy-offs like flowers, gifts, tickets to shows, invitations to go out of town. Such offerings may be appropriate after reconciliation, but they should be forbidden during separation as buy-offs are specifically intended to create confusion in the victim and impose upon her an obligation to make herself vulnerable in order to express gratitude or to reciprocate his quote-unquote kindness and then you share some other red or yellow flags. They may include denial, anger, resentment, accusations, threats, conditions, blame, boundary busting, demands again for the timeline, complaints of being inconvenienced. Isn't that delightful? Oh, you're, you're inconveniencing me. I'm sorry. For 20 years, you, you inconvenienced <laughs> me. The primary concern <laughs> is for himself and not for the victim. So some dismissive type or um, ways that he may diminish her is saying things like she always makes things too, too big of a deal of everything. She exaggerates. She's overly sensitive. I haven't done anything wrong. She's lying. Her expectations are unrealistic. She can be such a nag. You know how women are. <laughs> she provokes me. This is all her fault. So if you're hearing those kinds of things coming out of the mouth of the abuser, then pretty certain the repentance has not happened. exactly pretty sure there's not a change of heart there so we could talk for days there's so much here and i think my my recommendation is just buy her book and read it cover to cover and determined you know are we ready are we ready to become a safe church are we ready to um to put these things in action so that the women and children in our congregations feel that they are protected by their shepherds and they are not full-blown exposed to wolves at every turn. Right. So do you have any like final thoughts for either survivors or leaders who may be listening? Yes,
1: I, I think my, you know, I always say my favorite scripture is when Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So truth is everything because truth leads us to freedom. Mm. And so the the priority is to identify what is actually true about who you are, who your spouse is, what is true about the relationship, what is true about the way he treats you. Is he loving, honoring you, cherishing you, caring for you, looking out for you, or is he at the center of the relationship? Is he always the priority? Having the freedom to identify the truth about where we are is what will set us on the course to a life where we are genuinely free, where we are living in righteousness and truth. It is there that we will find not only safety, but peace and joy. And so it always goes back to um, truth and that truth dispels any confusion. Mm. When the light of truth comes in, confusion cannot survive.
2: I love that. So that
1: has to be where our focus is and once we set our minds and our hearts on the truth then we have so much more clarity in terms of what we need to do to reclaim our lives reclaim our homes and and make things right before god and he I will tell you, I have seen him do miraculous things in leading people out of abusive relationships. Mm. Miraculous things. Doors that open that people did not expect. Mm. Jobs that come into play. People yeah. who've moved to other states or someone is saying, I will let you live in my house for free. Wow. And it's just amazing when we give it all over to the Lord and say, I can't do this anymore. Yes. And people, he will bring people into our lives. I really believe that. And I've seen it happen and watch him work to set you free because that's what he longs to do for us.
0: Amen. Amen. And I, I am just one more person that can tell you that I have seen his provision. I have seen his goodness. I have seen his intervention time and time and time again. I have never gone without the things I need and so many things that are extras that I don't even really need, but I want God has been there and I have never been forsaken. And I, I was sick and barely functioning. Didn't have a real job, like nothing when, when I got separated. Wow. It made no sense. Like when I decided I was done, it made no sense to be done at that moment in time but I just knew something in me just snapped and I said, I, I am finished. It's not that I can't live like this anymore. It's I won't live like this anymore. This is yeah. not God's plan for me. This is not the way that a perfect heavenly father wants his daughter to live. And yeah. every twist and every turn he's been faithful and his people have shown up time and time again. And not necessarily in a, an institution. Okay, that, that failed me. Right. that individual friends who have shown up and been the hands, the feet, the heart of Jesus to me time and time again. So we, yeah, Cindy and I are both here to attest to his goodness and his faithfulness and tell us how we can find you in the wide world webs. Oh, you're sweet. I'm at hurtbylove.com,
1: And, uh, I do personal coaching for those who are interested. Um, you can email me if you have questions, um, like, uh, Heather said, I have probably about a hundred articles on different aspects of the abuse dynamic. So if there's something you're looking for specifically, you can email me and I'll try to direct you to some information that will be helpful. And uh, I'm happy to help in any way I can. As well as your, is it three books right now? Um, I have six, but three are pretty much the primary ones I have in the market. Why is he so mean to me? God is my witness, making a case for biblical divorce. And then, of course, my and book that Heather's already mentioned. So
0: wonderful resources. And I'm so, so grateful for you. I just, I love your heart, your spirit. And I know that we are going to do some awesome things together in the future. And then, sister,
1: thank <laughs> you so much for allowing me the opportunity yes, to share.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for your time and your passion for women and helping women to get free. Happy to help anytime. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. As always, you can find us um, on Facebook, Ladies Held and Healed, Women Rebuilding After Abuse. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> and um, you can also find me at info at org. So blessings to you. And we pray that you will feel held even as you are being healed. Amen.